Welcome to season two of The Trip That Changed Me, a podcast about transformative travel experiences hosted by me, Esme Benjamin, editor of Full Time Travel. Coronavirus made it incredibly difficult to travel this year, which is why I believe we need stories like the ones on this podcast more than ever. Live vicariously with me every week as I Zoom with entrepreneurs, writers, entertainers, and everyday adventurers to discuss a journey that shifted their mindset, ignited a new calling, expanded their heart, or ushered in a new chapter. My guest this week is Amanda Keaton, who is almost 20 years into a successful career as a jewelry designer when a trip to the Mexican city of San Miguel de Allende set her on an entirely new path. After a visit of just five days, during which she witnessed the Day of the Dead festivities, Amanda was smitten with San Miguel. On the cusp of her 40th birthday, she decided to pack up her life in LA and return to the city to open a boutique hotel. In 2019, Casa Delphine welcomed its very first guests. And a year later, despite the pandemic, the property has been celebrated as one of the hottest new hotels by Condé Nast Traveller. I caught up with Amanda over Zoom to talk about falling in love with a place at first sight, the deeply personal process of creating a boutique hotel, and finding the bravery to do the scary thing. This episode of The Trip That Changed Me is sponsored by NordVPN, a service that protects your internet connection and online privacy wherever you are in the world. With a NordVPN subscription, you can stay safe while using Wi-Fi in public spaces and stream content from any and every country without restrictions. Visit nordvpn.com forward slash full-time Nord and use our code full-time Nord to get four free months when you purchase a two-year plan. That's nordvpn.com forward slash full-time Nord and the code full-time Nord for four free months of fast, secure, anonymous browsing. Welcome, Amanda. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I always like to start at the very beginning. So maybe we could talk a bit about your childhood and how it informed your love of travel. I grew up in the suburbs of New York City, a pretty sheltered childhood, except that my grandmother lived in Bombay, India, where my dad was born. And so we as a family would go to India for usually a month at a time every two years to go visit her. So the first time that I went was probably when I was about five years old. And it was the first time I remember being abroad and it was such a drastic difference from everything that I knew. Every sight and smell and sound was different. And it just, I remember my brother and I just being so overwhelmed and so like everything was turned on. We were so curious. And I think that was the beginning part of both my brother and my own need and desire to travel around the world and experience all these things and places that are so different from what we knew. That's so interesting. India is definitely one of those places that it has like a culture shock value, you know, like, and I think in a good way, like I enjoy places which have that culture shock. It's definite culture shock. I've probably been seven or eight times and you'd think that I would be used to the difference at this point, but I'm not. <laughs> it's, it's a lot. It's a very overwhelming, very exhilarating kind of travel going over there. Given that your your family is from there, do you feel connected to the place? I do and I don't. I do from an ancestral perspective because my family lived there for a few hundred years. Mm. But I felt connected when I was young and I would go consistently and visit family, uh, friends with my father. 
and I felt very a part of the community. When I was older and I'd go back, I, I felt like a tourist. Most of my family is gone and a lot of the family friends of ours have also moved elsewhere. So it became quite a, quite a different feeling. So I want to get on to talking about your jewelry design, because obviously some sure. of those exper- early experiences in India, and I'm sure lots of other places that you travel to have found their way, have been manifested in your jewelry designs. You went to college in New York, but you didn't study design, right? What was your subject? I studied something called visual and environmental studies. It was a little bit of design, but not in the traditional way. I wasn't in a studio. It was like everything that was visual. So a little bit of film, a little bit of art, a little bit of photography. It was a like amalgamation of, of creative things that was a little bit chaotic during the time that I was in that department when I was there. But it definitely was the department for me because I'm so interested in all of those elements. So nothing that gave me any of my direct knowledge in the studio, but conceptually, I learned a lot in my department. And how did you get into jewelry? I worked for a fashion designer when I was 21 and just graduated from college. And I did that for about a year. And then a brief stint at um, Condé Nast, where I worked for an editor over there. And when I left that job, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I knew that when I sit and I work with my hands, it's very meditative. And so I just sort of to calm myself and to think about things and sort of my direction in life would bring myself to the jewelry studio on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, where I took some classes and honed in on certain skills. And I did that, you know, sort of therapeutically until people started commenting on the pieces I was making. One of them was an editor who did an article on me. And once I knew that that article was going to be happening, I decided to make it into a business, totally on a whim. And probably the only time that I would feel comfortable doing something like that in my life was when you're young enough that if you fail, you know, there aren't a lot of repercussions. So I took a big leap and it worked. And the company still is running, though at a much lower capacity since I left the U.S. and came to Mexico to open the hotel. So it's had a long run of about 20 years. Yeah, that's wild. I feel like having a jewelry line is every millennial woman's dream now. (laughs) And there is so much out there. How have you managed to differentiate yourself over the years? Well, it's interesting. When I started the business, which was in 2001, there were not a lot of independent jewelry designers. Actually, there were very few. And those that were out there got a lot of attention because I think people really wanted an artistry and they really wanted a well thought out handmade design. And there weren't a lot of us out there. So it wasn't hard to launch. And we were really treated like artists. And I felt very much like an artist. And It was from that point that I started building the company and gaining a following and gaining, you know, repeat clients. And then it wasn't until maybe seven or eight years ago, I don't know when Instagram came around, but I know that I certainly witnessed Instagram being a part of a big part of this, but the market got so saturated that everybody and their mother seemed to all of a sudden be making jewelry, (laughs) whether they were in the studio or just designing something on a piece of paper or copying designs. But I mean, 
it just seemed like thousands upon thousands of designers popped up. And I think that was a part of why I lost interest in the art because it just became so saturated. And I would sit in the studio and handpick these little tiny diamonds for a very delicate piece and then see something really similar that was made by someone else, but made in China for one fourth or one fifth of the price that I could make it for in the studio. And my heart was sort of just like, okay, what, you know, what do I do in this case? That's interesting. So can we touch a little bit on your creative process? Like, where do you find your inspiration? How do you structure, you know, the ideation, the creation? Do you make sketches? Do you make mood boards? How does the whole thing work for you? I'm not that structured that I make anything like a mood board. I just walk around and observe all the time. So my inspiration comes from seeing someone's style that I like on the street or seeing a pattern on a leaf or seeing the way light hits something. And I just, I don't know what it's like to be in anyone else's mind, but for me, I'm constantly taking in visuals and those kind of go through a process in my mind and then come out either in jewelry or, or the creation of a space or environment that I'm building. It's very hard to sort of like hone in and say exactly what inspires me for something. I just sort of take a snapshot as I'm walking around and experiencing things. I always take a snapshot in my mind and then, you know, adjust it for a space or a, or a person, you know, for their, for a commission, like a private commission for jewelry. And I'm not, you know, people joke about artists having a certain very left-brained mind, or maybe it's right-brained, I always confuse it, but <laughs> I'm, I definitely don't have a very structured process before I go into the studio. Often when I'm dealing with clients, I'll have to give them a sense of what they're getting, but the real creativity comes in when I'm actually in the studio in front of the stone and creating. So when people commission me to do jewelry for them, there's usually a lot of trust in the process and in my history and, and wisdom in making all of this stuff for 20 years, because, you know, the sketch is usually like a chicken scratch. And I'm like, let me go into the studio. Let's see what happens kind of thing. And I think that's where the 20 years really helps because I've been doing it for so long. I have lots of proof of it of it working and a piece is being really beautiful. Well, in, in that way, if that is the way that you're getting your inspiration, that you're walking around and you're always watching and always looking and keeping an eye out for things that inspire you, travel must be just a wellspring of inspiration because I feel like we just are more mindful and more conscious when we're traveling. We pay more attention because everything is foreign. Do you feel that way? A hundred percent. I a hundred percent agree with you. It's it's a new stimulation, whether it's music or food, or it just gets all of your senses going. And yes, it's a, it's a dream. Like I travel as much as I possibly can whenever I have the chance to, I'll be experiencing something new. I, I need it constantly. I need to keep ideas going and, and keep things fresh in my head. Let's take a little break to talk about today's sponsor. This episode of The Trip That Changed Me is sponsored by NordVPN, a virtual private network service provider. So I just went back to the UK to see my family and NordVPN was a real life enhancer for two big reasons. 
Firstly, I could get on the Wi-Fi at Heathrow Airport and know the connection was totally private and secured with double encryption technology. And secondly, because NordVPN lets you connect to servers all over the world, I could stay up to date with my US HBO shows while abroad. Don't know about you, but I am currently obsessed with the undoing. Right now, NordVPN is offering our listeners an exclusive deal. Purchase a two-year plan and receive four additional months absolutely free. I promise you, at the very least, it will make this long winter at home much more scintillating. Go to nordvpn.com forward slash full-time Nord and use our code full-time Nord at checkout for four free months. That's nordvpn.com slash full-time Nord and use the code full-time Nord. At some point you moved to LA and opened a couple of stores there. What was your life like on the West Coast as opposed to the East Coast where you grew up? Uh, The business changed So I changed the business model when I moved from New York to LA. When I was in New York, I was doing private commission jewelry on the side, but most of my income was coming from wholesaling to stores. And when I moved across the country, that was a pretty big change for me personally. And I decided to switch the business model as well, because I found that when you put a lot of heart and soul into each of these pieces and they get shipped out to stores and you never meet the end client and never know their name or what they liked about it and they don't know you, it's really hard to build branding and it's really impersonal. And so when I moved across the country to LA, it sort of felt like a new start. And I said to myself, I much prefer to do mostly private commissions and meet people and make pieces for them that are really meaningful and that will be kept for a long time, not just a pair of earrings you buy in a store for a few hundred dollars, but rather like a very special and important anniversary piece or engagement ring or something like that. So creatively, I was doing something slightly different in LA with the private commissions than I was in New York with the majority of my jewelry making being wholesaling. And you mentioned earlier that you got to that stage where everything was feeling like it was really oversaturated and you just started to sort of fall out of love with jewelry making a little bit, or at least with the idea of putting as much effort into the business as you had been. Can you talk a bit more about that and how that was shifting your mindset and your satisfaction in terms of your life in LA? Absolutely. So that is the case. I was losing steam a little bit with what I felt like I was putting out there because it's so oversaturated. It's really hard to maintain standing out. And then also personally, I moved to LA in 2005. So by 2015, I'd lived in Los Angeles for 10 years and had a really beautiful life in LA, but was also sort of seeking change as well at that time. So in 2015, I started getting a little bit itchy in LA and sort of thinking about moving, but I only wanted to move somewhere that was going to be more enjoyable or more inspiring than Los Angeles. And I really struggled to find a place that was better than Los Angeles. It's a pretty great city and I have great friends here. So I looked around, I looked at London, I looked at Nashville, Tennessee, I looked at Oregon, I looked pretty far and wide and didn't find real inspiration and motivation to pick up and move my life until I discovered San Miguel in 2017. 
So yeah, that was a real turning point for you. Your friends invited you to a city called San Miguel de Allende. Allende, is I'm saying that right? Yeah, San Miguel de Allende. Yes. Yeah, um, which is a beautiful colonial city. It's in Mexico's central highlands. It's full of gorgeous Baroque architecture. It's very artsy. It's kind of always mentioned by big travel publications, but still manages to be a little bit under the radar. How familiar were you with the city before you went? I wasn't familiar with it at all. The name had come up five or six times and it was on my radar because people had mentioned it in passing as a place that they were surprised I hadn't been yet. And so really close to Day of the Dead, I want to say it was two weeks before, three weeks before I got an invitation to join some friends that were going down to San Miguel. And I jumped on the trip, of course, but didn't do any research about really where I was going. I just said, of course, I want to experience Day of the Dead. I love Mexico. I've been meaning to check out the city. I'd love to join you. So I had so much surprise when I landed and I saw this incredible, vibrant, creative city with the most beautiful lighting and delicious food and like high and design everywhere. I just was blown away by it. I had no idea. It totally caught me off guard. Can you paint a bit of a picture of the city for somebody who's never been? Yes, definitely. So it's a small colonial city, as you mentioned, in the highlands in central Mexico, about three and a half hours from three and a half hour drive from Mexico City. And it's this really quaint town that has a lot of expats, but really deeply maintains deep Mexican culture as well. It is the city where the revolution started when Mexico fought to be independent from Spain. And so as a city, it's a sort of cultural epicenter, even though it's a small city relative to a lot of other ones. It is a place that is filled with parades all the time and festivals and, um, you know, like a city where lots of indigenous Mexican people come to dance in the streets during certain festivals and holidays. I mean, it is, there's so much to learn there. And a lot of people, I think, at least from the U.S., sometimes think of Mexico as the beach or, you know, someplace to go and relax. But, you know, when you go more towards the interior of the country and you aren't distracted by beach, there is such incredible, deep, fascinating color and and tradition that just blows my mind. Speaking of which, you were there to witness Day of the Dead celebrations. Um, Day of the Dead is, of course, a Mexican holiday where families welcome back the souls of their deceased relatives. And there's food and drink and costumes and lots of social celebrations. I think it's a very common bucket list experience for travelers now. Was it one for you at that time? I was really curious about the the holiday, but I had never, I didn't know that much about it. I just knew it was something I wanted to witness. And it is a really incredible way of looking at death because you basically call back your ancestors and those you love and those you miss during that weekend by leaving sweets on their tombstone and playing their favorite music and really like calling in their soul. And I love that aspect of 
celebrating loved ones, especially that one weekend of the year where everybody gets together to do it themselves. There's also, I'm sure it's a very different experience celebrating Day of the Dead as a, as a Mexican where it's part of your culture versus as someone who's coming in and just learning about it. But there was this element to the celebration in the city where everybody gets dressed up in Katrina and Kalaka paint. So we all are walking around as basically as skeletons. <laughs> and there's a glamorous element to it, at least in San Miguel. San Miguel is the only place I have had yet to experience it. So I'm, I'm speaking from a very narrow perspective, but the whole city is decorated and lit up and there's pastries and music and celebration. And, and it's wild to see little children dressed up like this and adults and basically everybody. It's such a surreal and joyous experience. It blew my mind. Oh, it sounds amazing. It's definitely yeah. on my list one day. Um, and you met lots of cool expats. Did that start to plant a seed? Like, you know, if they can build a life here, then so can I. Absolutely. So San Miguel is a three hour, 20 minute flight from Los Angeles. And you feel like you are worlds away from the United States, which was something that was really appealing to me. So that was my first wow factor. Then there's the visuals of the city. And then I was just meeting such interesting people. Now my Spanish was limited and it's still limited. So because I only speak English, I was really only meeting certain people when I was there, but everybody was very, very, very welcoming. And yes, certainly the kind of person I met is exactly the kind of person that I love to be around, like a very creative, global, interesting, adventurous kind of person. And so when I found myself in this beautiful city surrounded by people that I was inspired by, this light went off in my head immediately thinking, this is such a cool place. Could I ever, how could I, how can I get down here? How could I spend more time here? Could I potentially live here? It happened within two days, probably of me being down there. I was enjoying myself so much and I felt so comfortable there and so lit up. Am I right in saying you just had, you just had a big birthday, you celebrated 40? Yes. So me leaving my life in Los Angeles and this, this career that I'd had for 20 years was that, that turning point was like a perfect storm in some ways. I had just turned 40. I had been a little bit disenchanted with my my career for about five years. I'd been thinking about making a big life change. And I had been looking at real estate in San Miguel sort of as just a pastime. It's something I like to do when I really fall in love with a place. I like to look at real estate, whether it's way, 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 way out of range or whether it's something that is doable. I just look at everything. It's something I've been doing for years. And so from the moment I left San Miguel that first time and came back to Los Angeles, I started looking at real estate at night before I was going to sleep. Um, instead of reading the news or instead of being in social media, I was like, well, what can you get for this amount in San Miguel? And eventually I came across a small boutique hotel that was for sale. And I would stare at the pictures and zoom in on fireplaces and really look at it deeply and design in my head. If this place was mine, what would I do with it? 
And I didn't tell anybody that I was doing this. This was just a really personal thing that I was sort of just like cultivating in my mind. And I, I honestly didn't take it seriously until it was my birthday in October. And I was out to dinner with friends of mine and lamenting my age and sort of saying to them, life moves so fast. How is it that I am still in Los Angeles and still having my jewelry business and, you know, not much is feeling like it's changing. And they, as good friends said, well, what would you like to change? And I said, I have to move. And they said, well, where would you like to move? And I just answered immediately, San Miguel de Allende. And they said, yes, you love it there. You should move there. What would you like to do there? Could you do jewelry? And I said, no, I don't think there's a market at all for fine jewelry. And so they said, well, what would you do? And so I took out my phone and clicked on the link for this hotel. And I sort of sheepishly showed it to them. And the images went around the table. And one by one, each of my friends looked at this hotel and they all were saying, Amanda, you have to do this. They weren't laughing or saying nice pipe dream. They all just said, why aren't you doing this? It's time to do this. And that was really meaningful because it was very good friends of mine who know me well. And I had full support at that moment at the table. That's so important to have friends who back your dreams. Absolutely. So I think any traveler who also considers themselves an esthete would love to open a hotel. So tell us about the vision for Casa Delphine. So Casa Delphine was structurally a really beautiful colonial building. And it was owned by a couple who, um, she was from Spain and he was from Mexico. And the style of it was very different from what I would do. It had a lot of a lot of furniture was packed into that place. There were a lot of like small potted plants. There was lace. There was just so much going on that you were sort of unable to really see the beauty in the actual architecture. And so when I saw the place online, I just started imagining deconstructing it and having simple, clean furniture so that you can focus on the beautifully laid boveda ceilings and the hand laid stones on the walls and just the layout, the high ceilings and the way that the indoor outdoor spaces and how they interact with one another. And so in my mind, before I even saw the place, I was dreaming up how to clean it up and really show it off in its best way. When I came down to San Miguel and saw it in person, it was just a very visceral reaction. It was like seeing a puppy that needs help that you want to take home and make its life beautiful. I don't do this with every building, but certainly there are certain places I walk into where I just want to like take care of the space and redesign it and make it look its best. And I really deeply felt that about this place. And so with my age and the time I'd been in LA and the time I'd run the jewelry business and just needing a change, I literally just went for it. It sounds like your experience both with the city and with the hotel was one of love at first sight. Oh, 100%. I'm curious to know, I always feel like having a business with a bricks and mortar location, like a physical space, which you're pouring your hopes and dreams into, that must feel uniquely personal. 
do you feel like the press you've gotten since and all the positive feedback has made, I mean, it must feel amazing to have heard all of that great stuff about it, about what you created. Thank you. It's very flattering, the press that we've gotten. It feels so good when when new guests walk into the space and they gasp and they say, oh my gosh, this this is such a beautiful space and it has such a nice vibe. Creating something like this is definitely personal. And the advice that I keep getting, we've been very, very, very lucky with press. We got on Condé Nast Radar and they listed us as one of the hottest new hotels of 2020. Of course, they interviewed me in February. And of course, that article came out in May when everybody's locked in their homes and unable to travel. So that's unfortunate. But it's a very personal space. And my friends who are, you know, career coaches and personal media coaches, of which I have a few, they always say, you know, you need to be more visible on your social media because it isn't just a hotel that people are walking into. They're literally walking into like Mm. a space you've created and they want to know who you are and what you're about. And I love that personal element of it. And I love meeting people. And I love that Casa Delfina tracks a really deep, creative, curious, and open-minded kind of guest. And when you know, before the pandemic, when things were in full swing, my literally my greatest joy was when I'd walk into the hotel and guests who didn't know each other previously were chatting and talking about places they'd seen in the city and getting each other's numbers because it was such a space of community, which was exactly what I wanted to build. As an entrepreneur, how different is it running a jewelry business than opening a hotel. I mean, I know a lot of people who are entrepreneurial minded, they go through lots of different businesses. You know, it's kind of a real mindset that people have. But yeah, I'm curious to know if it's just a very different experience opening up a hotel as opposed to what you were doing before. It's such an interesting question that you asked. So the two businesses that I have started are so similar to one another. They're both incredibly personal experiences. And both things are really tied into my work and my personality. I don't know how to build a business that, you know, employs a hundred people where like I step back and other people do things like both of my businesses have been so hands-on and so heartfelt from me. So I actually think they're really similar, like the custom jewelry creation, you want to make sure that people feel comfortable, that they get enough information, that they're personally taken care of, and that the display is is lovely and you know the packaging is lovely and all the elements around the jewelry that you're handing over are really detail-oriented and that everything's looked after. And so that translates very easily into hospitality, creating an experience for the guests the second they walk in the door and just making them feel comfortable and guiding them to the coolest spots in the city that you found. And literally, you want to look after every detail and make them feel really, really, really taken care of from the moment they step in to the moment that they depart. So the two are really, really, though one is a tangible object and one is an experience, the businesses are both really personal and really about experience and feeling taken care of. So I think they're, they're really similar. 
I have to say, I'm very jealous. (laughs) (laughs) It looks like a dream. The place is so beautiful. The hotel is so beautiful. And just the sound of the city and your life there, it just sounds amazing. So congrats. Thank you. A hundred percent. You need to come down and visit. I'm going to have to take you up on that. (laughs) I highly recommend Day of the Dead as a time to come down, but really any other time is, is as vibrant. Things are a bit quieter now. We aren't allowed to have, uh, you know, the festivals and parades and big Mm. celebrations until, you know, it's safer for people to travel, but, um, but it'll be back. No question about it. Absolutely. Um, I think so many of us, you know, fall in love with a place and imagine what life would be like if we packed everything up and moved there, which is, you know, what you did, you completely reoriented and rearranged your career and your relationships and made it happen. And I want to ask whether it lived up to your expectations. It absolutely lived up to my expectations. I have no regrets. You know, obviously nothing's so smooth that, you know, there are hiccups along the way, but, and it's a lot of hard work redesigning the space and creating the experience and working, you know, getting to know my staff and hiring more staff. You know, it's it's really hard work. I, I think I didn't sleep more than two hours for the first five months that I was living in Mexico. My goodness. But, but for the right personality, like someone who gets really invigorated by change and by challenge, it was really the, like really one of the most special times of my life. Amazing. Huge congrats. Well, before you go, I'd love to do a quick fire round. Planned itinerary or spontaneous exploration? Spontaneous exploration, as long as it's safe. Absolutely. Um, What is one thing that you believe every person should experience in their lifetime? I believe that everybody should experience doing something that they're terrified to do. Ooh, that's a great answer. I don't think anyone's ever said that before. Yeah, I I don't know what it is in me, but I am always pushing myself. Like if something sounds scary, I will immediately think, can I do this? Let's try it. <laughs> I don't think my parents and and close family members love that about me, but it's something that I think you feel like you can you gain confidence when you face your fears and I and I love doing that. So I've done a lot of really terrifying things in my life to be honest. Um, what's the one thing that you never ever travel without that's a good question my head went to toothbrush and I was like nope I forget those all the time (laughs) (laughs) oh that's a really hard one I'm a really light traveler I just take the absolute necessities with me like I go for comfort I'll take I'll take a few of my favorite things and those you know favorite pieces of clothing and those usually go a long way I don't need a whole lot of wardrobes or outfits or anything anytime I travel oh well it's not that I can't travel without it maybe this sounds silly but um I really love traveling with essential oils because that's a good one that that feels like consistent to me like if I have an oil with me I always sort of smell a certain way and and uh I take comfort in that especially when I'm traveling to like really obscure places that's something that makes me feel comfortable first place you'll visit once the pandemic is over Oh, well, Mexico is vast. And I have a list of about 20 places that I really, really want to go. I think Chiapas is first on my list. But 2020 was supposed to be the year where the hotel was 
really, really set. And I could kind of take some space and travel around. And of course, because of the pandemic, I couldn't. So Mexico is going to get a whole lot of me when I'm able to travel again. Best book, podcast, film, et cetera, that you'd recommend for a long journey? Oh my goodness. Okay. So one of my favorite books is Shantaram. It is like <gasps> me thousands, too. Of, thousands of pages and takes so many months to get through that. Maybe that one should be left for a very, very long journey. But isn't that the most incredible book? I absolutely adore that book. And it's an absolute epic. It's, it does it's, take a long time. There's so many twists and turns. And it's wild that it was based on a true story. I know. And he had to rewrite it many times because he was in jail and, and his versions kept take, get, kept getting taken away by prison guards. Did you know about that? Yes, I did. I did hear that. Wild. And, and when I finished that book, I, I brought that book with me when I was traveling through Nepal and I had like lots Perfect. and lots and lots of time on my hands to read it. And by the time I was done, I feel like every other page was dog-eared because he's such a lyrical writer that I would, I would, fold down the edge of the page and say, I have to come back to that sentence or that quote or that idea. So that's why, that's why I would put that as my favorite book. That's a good one. And I know they, they started making a TV show for it. Um, but the pandemic derailed those plans. (laughs) No, I had no idea. I had no idea. But last time I was in India, I walked by Leopold Cafe, which is a big part of that book. And, uh, stopped in front of it like like I was starstruck like oh that's where that's where so much of this book takes place oh my god I'd uh, love to go there yeah oh okay we're we're basically starting our own book club now (laughs) (laughs) I'm in (laughs) okay well thank you so much Amanda where can people find you on the internet so Casa Delphine is the French spelling of the name D-E-L-P-H-I-N-E and please come follow us. We do a lot of really, really interesting pop-up dinners and events and guest chefs. And we'd love to host anyone who's listening. It's such a cool experience and a very personal one. So you can find us on Instagram at Casa Delphine. Keaton Jewelry is my jewelry line. And I'm posting all the time again now um, with a bit of a Mexican inspiration to the jewelry. So it's a lot more colorful and bold. Uh, that's how you know, my eyes have changed since I moved down to San Miguel. And so it reflects itself in the jewelry. That's it. But I would love to see everybody down there. And I hope that anyone who's listening takes a little bit of inspiration. And if you have something in your back pocket that you've been meaning to do, just go ahead and do it because it feels so, so good, even though it might be terrifying and scary and seem like a pipe dream. um, I believe you can make it happen. And I think it's the best thing you can do for yourself. Mm-hmm. Wise words. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I hope you liked it. You can learn more about us by visiting fulltimetravel.co or following us on Instagram at full underscore time underscore travel. If you have a story you want to share on the trip that changed me, drop us a line. And please be sure to rate, review and subscribe so we can keep this adventure going.